0: Welcome to the Real Estate Masters Podcast, a podcast with top real estate agents sharing insights of how they've grown their business. Every guest is unique and serves different markets, so you will find value in each and every episode. And now our host, executive coach, April Mack.
1: Hello, friends. It's good to be with you today. I have got a great interview today with Heidi Swinson. She is with Samson Properties out of Chantilly, Virginia. She's a top producing realtor and also an award-winning stager. She's going to talk about the value in staging properties and the benefit to your sellers. She also is someone that really does basically know marketing. And so some of you are probably going to love hearing how she's really built her business without marketing. And she is also going to share in this interview about how she's winning the bidding wars and some tips that she's putting into place that are helping in this crazy seller's market for the buyers to win that bid and get that house under contract that they really want. So I think you're going to find some great value and joy. We'll get right to it in my interview with Heidi Swenson. Welcome, Heidi. I'm so excited to have you today. So tell us a little
0: bit about you. Well, thank you, April. Thanks for having me. My name is Heidi Swenson, and I've been a realtor now for just about eight years. And you can visit my website at heidi homes.com. What I do in this area is I, I typically specialize in working with military and their families. We have a lot of military here. And so There's a great need for for that type of realtor that can work with people that need to either find a home quickly (laughs) from out of town or sometimes sell. I also do a lot of staging and I have my own staging company. So when I sell properties, I stage all of my own properties through my own inventory. And I do that for free for all of my clients. And I stage for other realtors as well. So yeah, anybody can find me at Heidi-Homes.com. And for those in the military, uh, you can find me at heidi dot com slash military or we move military dot com.
1: Oh wow! And where are you located geographically?
0: So I'm with Sampson Properties, which is headquartered in Chantilly, Virginia, and my staging office is in Springfield, Virginia.
1: Okay, and that's in kind of the DC metropolis.
0: So, it's uh, the my staging office is about 25 minutes out from DC, and the Samson office is about 45 minutes out.
1: Okay. Awesome. That area of the world I'm not extremely familiar with. I know it, there's just a lot of people and a lot of traffic. <laughs> <And> so, <Yeah. laughs> but, and are you from
0: that area? No. So, I'm originally from Massachusetts. And I moved down here after I graduated from Northeastern University. And uh, I originally came down here to go to George Washington University, which I I liked. But what I came down here to study, I realized wasn't really for me. Mm -hmm. So I guess you could say I kind of just was trying to figure out what I was going to do. (laughs) You know, early 20s. Aren't we all like that, right? Yes. I took a lot of temporary jobs. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I started working in different associations. And then the internet sort of became what it became. And I was instantly drawn to it. And I started teaching myself HTML. And I realized that it was becoming a passion of mine. And I decided to go to George Mason University to get my master's degree in visual information technologies. And at the same time, I started building my own sort of company. I started out as an independent contractor, and then built a website development company, Uh, got my degree and ran the company for 12 years. And it was an interesting time. It really was.
1: Wow. So how did the transition transpire from being a web developer to a
0: real estate agent? Yeah, there's no straight line there, right? <laughs> like how did that happen? So I I liked doing the website development and running the company. But social media was starting to develop, if you will, which isn't something that's ever been much interest to me. So while that was happening, I also bought a home during that time. And I found the process of looking for properties and that type of thing. I almost became obsessed with it, if you will. And I liked the whole process of the transaction. I found that really interesting. So once I went through that, I kind of never went away from it, I sort of continued to start looking at properties and thought to myself, that's really interesting. The whole thing mm. about real estate is really interesting. And as my interest in real estate grew, my interest in website development due to the rise in social media started to wane. And so I got my license for to become a realtor, but... At the same time, I had a baby. (laughs) And I'm like, that'll change everything. Yeah, that kind of puts a crimp in trying to start a new career, you know? So I said, I'm going to put my license on an active status because believe it or not, getting your real estate license, that test is no joke. (laughs) I didn't want to go through that test again. So I put it on an active status and I thought, okay, God will give me a sign with my company. I'll start to lose clients and that will wane and then I'll get into real estate. And it never really happened. So as I was approaching 40, I said, I'm going to have to just take the reins. And I got into real estate on a part-time basis. I just did rentals because I didn't want to mess up anybody's life by screwing up as <laughs> a newbie, <laughs> buying yeah. or selling. And I wanted to just get my, toe, dip my toes in and make sure everything was what I thought it would be and that I would like it. And I realized I did. And I started to build my base. And I said, now that's, that's it. So I sold my company. And I got into real estate full-time, and I've never looked back.
1: Wow. So what did building your base look like?
0: So I'm not involved in any particular groups or clubs, so I didn't have a personal base to pull from. And the company, the brokerage that I had been with, they had a lead network, which for me worked very, very well. And what would happen is people would be seeing a property online, they would call they would get to this lead network and then the lead network would sort of vet the people a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then they would call the realtors who were on the lead network. So if you were a realtor, like I was on the lead network, when you saw a call come in from this lead center, you would have to run to your phone because if you didn't get the phone call, you would get knocked down points-wise. Mm. so it was a little bit you know (laughs) that was stressful but i i actually really did well with that because i would get the phone calls and talk with people over the phone and these were a lot of renters to be honest but also some buyers and sellers and that's what started my base and without that i'm not sure how i would have accumulated the clientele that i originally started with who a lot of them i'm still working with today just over time renters became buyers became sellers It's, it's funny
1: Right, It's so cyclical did how long do you feel did you do that to to kind of get a good foundation?
0: I would say about six months to a year. Mm. yeah, it was about six months to a year
1: and which isn't very long. I mean, so you built that foundation pretty well. And so where do your leads come from now?
0: Referrals. They come from referrals, yeah, I'd say almost exclusively. I've tried different things over the years. I think all of us as realtors do. I won't mention certain websites, but I've tried advertising on certain websites, and well I can't say it was a certain failure because maybe I've gotten one or two clients and then those clients brought in other clients and whatnot. I also don't know that you know the money was really worth it for me, although I do know that it, certain websites work for certain realtors, you have to spend a lot of money on those websites to get a return on investment for me. it just wasn't worth it.
1: Right, right, so what how do you with your referrals do those come about? Do you have really good client relations and follow through staying in touch with those former clients how How do you keep that going
0: I probably I don't like to be a burden on people. I feel like everybody's really, really busy with their own lives, yeah. so what I like to do is I think to myself, what would I like to have given to me or sent to me or communicated with me? And so what I do is I, I have a, a postcard that goes out monthly. And before COVID hit, it was actually useful. Now with COVID, it's not so useful. But what this postcard did was it gave you what the events were for the month in the area. So it told you what festivals were in town, what plays were happening, what concerts were happening, things for kids. And every month, all of my clients, whether renters or buyers or sellers, as long as I had your address, that would get sent to you. And additionally, at the end of the year, I send all of my clients gifts and cards and that type of thing. And every once in a while, if there really is something that I think is worthwhile mentioning to a former client, I might email them. But I, I just feel like, you know, I try to do the best job I can with people when I'm working with them. And just a minimal amount of staying in touch. I don't want to be a burden to people and just give them some information that I think would be helpful. And at the end of the year, something to show my appreciation. And that seems to... That seems to work for me. Yeah, I
1: love that. How long do you keep that them in your just on record that you're continuing to send them that gift at the end of the year? If I was your client, well, back when you first started, am I still getting that gift or is that a limited
0: you're still getting that gift. Wow. <laughs> you're still getting that
1: gift, yeah. You are. That's
0: amazing. So what kind of gifts are those? Can I tell you, that is almost the hardest part of it, because if you think about it, right, it can't be for a single person, a family, or a couple. It ha- The gift has to work for everybody. Yeah. It can't be specific to a condo, a townhouse, or a single family. Mm. And it can't be really religious specific because everybody's everything, right? Yeah. So yeah, I spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. So what I've given out in the past has been blankets, pillows, platters, baskets, and then last or the year before that i actually split it so if you were like a, a family or a couple you got this really beautiful it's a really cute plaque where you could change out the decoration for the season and it said welcome to our home but that's if i knew you were a couple or family yeah and if you were a single person i think i got like a, a google mini for you just you know, it's hard it, i don't know it's sometimes just different things
1: yeah. I, I love that though. Just the being so real about that's one of the hardest things that I do is picking out that gift. I can see how that you want it to be something really of value, not something that, you know, all the knickknacks people get that, you know, I always say, like, if we had a museum that we were keeping all these things in, you know, but otherwise, what do you do with all this kind of stuff sometimes that you get? So that's great. And I love the value that you're getting in that. And so that just from those postcards, just from that gift at the end of the year, that's enough touch on those past clients that you're seeing those referrals now come back. And is that, are they sending you their friends and, or is that just repeat customers?
0: It's both. It's a, yeah, right now I'm actually working with clients who were originally renters from that lead network from Seven eight years ago, and I'm working with buyers who were referrals from them, just to give you an example of how long this goes and and those original renters from that lead network i can't even i don't even know how many people they've referred to me buyers, renters over the years. I mean, my philosophy has always been whether it was website development or as a realtor, you do a really good job for people. You do a really good job, and you shouldn't have to do much marketing. You really kind of shouldn't because they'll remember you and be authentic with people. Be very transparent. That's always been my motto. Yes, I
1: love that. And everybody has to be genuine to who they are. Yeah, I I say you be you. Very true. And so are you doing any kind of marketing at all?
0: No, no, uh, just I'm trying to think. No, other than what I've told you, I am also a Redfin partner agent. But that's not really marketing. That's just if Redfin will put my my information out there on certain properties and I work with Redfin on a referral basis. But aside from that, I really can't think of anything I do for marketing now. And yeah. I never really have. In my website development company, it was the same thing. Interesting. That's
1: really great though. And obviously, you are providing enough value to your clients that they do want to refer you and repeat, come back to you. Because I read a statistic the other day that 75% of buyers or sellers will, or that a real estate agent will lose 75% of the deals that they did on on average, that they're not going to get them back as a repeat customer. They're going to go on to another real estate agent. And that's a lot of business to be losing. So that's incredible. And obviously, like I said, you're providing great quality of service and they feel very comfortable and trust you feel you are very trustworthy in their eyes, so that's really neat. Do you work as a solo agent or you have a team?
0: So I am a solo agent, but I have other realtor friends slash associates that, for example busy with buyers and I have a client that needs to maybe see a property that's another buyer, you know, I can't be in two places at once. So I have other contacts, but that's only if I've already worked with these people for a while. Will I say to them, look, I'm, I can't show you that property then, but I have an associate that can, you know, I wouldn't do that to a brand new client. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but yeah. People that already know me and trust. then I call in some associates, but that's honestly, it's very rare. A lot of times I'm busy, but my schedule just kind of works out. Uh, I don't know how it happens, but it usually does. But I would just say that that can happen sometimes if I'm working with a lot of buyers. That's when that kind of thing can happen. Otherwise, you're basically working with me.
1: Yeah. Well, I can see that. And obviously, that works for you. Do you feel like there's in the future that you would want to build a team or you just prefer it like you are?
0: Yeah. I I mean, when I ran my website development company, I started it because I liked doing website development. And then I built the company and then I wasn't really doing website development. I was managing people. And in real estate, I know it would go down that road too. If I got bigger, so to speak, then I wouldn't be doing the deal so much myself and working with people. I'd be managing people and I'm not interested in managing people. So that's why I don't want to do a team. Right. Right. So how did the staging come about? So the staging came about when I was getting started and I would get a listing here or there and I'd look at the room and I'd go, you know, that could look better. We could do this. We could do that. And I would start, I've always sort of had a fascination with making things look quote unquote right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just like right. So I would maybe buy something and put it here or take something from one of their other rooms and put it there. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And I just kept adding to my inventory and then doing this storage unit and a bigger storage unit and then a box truck. And then I'm like and then I'm like, well, I hate having storage units because, you know, they're freezing cold in the winter or they're really hot in the summer and I can't hang things. It's it's they were they're creepy. You <laughs> know, I didn't want to do it. So I finally bought space in Woodbridge and then bigger space closer to my house became available. So I bought that space in Springfield and I rented out my space in Woodbridge to an attorney and I could actually use bigger space. I'm not going to lie. I could use bigger space, but you know, the way the market is here, that's kind of hard, but so that's what happened with staging. And it just kind of grew. And then I, I took a course in it as well just to make sure I was doing things right. And I constantly watched the trends on Pinterest to a degree, HDTV magazines, all kinds of things, just to kind of see what's make sure I'm on trend. And yeah. that's that's how it grew.
1: Evidently, in, in your market, that's really an important piece, I'm assuming. Is that correct? I mean, do you feel like a lot of the listings are staged?
0: <sighs> well, I'll tell you this. I don't. I never feel like enough of them are staged. I'm always sort of surprised when I see properties that are put on market with bad pictures or little to no effort was put into them. And I'll tell you, this is a very competitive area. I'm always... Amazed at certain realtors I know and what an amazing job they do and staging, you know, I think it's fantastic. And this area, I say that because being from Massachusetts, every once in a while I'll see a property from Massachusetts and a high priced property, mind you. I almost never see any of those properties up there staged. The photos are not good. I mean, here, your photos better be on point and the staging, I think, should be there. So as a stager, I feel like every property should be staged because it always helps get you a higher price. There's Around here, there's certain areas and certain type of properties that are always going to sell. That's not even the question. But if you could get it sold for more, just because you did some staging, I don't know why you wouldn't.
1: Right. That's interesting to hear the value that that it creates in having a home stage and getting it sold for more money. Obviously, you know, it looks like in some areas, this will just become more and more of a trend. And, you know, there's some places that it may be a little bit slower to catch on. But I find it very interesting. Do you, How do you split your time between your listing and selling and the staging. And do you have somebody help you with the staging?
0: Yeah. So with the staging, I have movers and they move everything from my box truck into the property and then vice versa when we move stuff out. But then you also have to consider the stuff has to go from my box trucks you know, into my office, and from my office into the truck. So I have somebody who helps me with that too. But the amount of physical involved in staging is grossly underestimated by people. I am exhausted after I do a staging job because I've worked for days to pack everything and to sort of preview everything in my office to make sure things are going to go right together. And then when I get to the property, I'm helping. I'm bringing things up the stairs, down the stairs, out of the truck, back, you know, trying to... Because we're doing this fast. We have to do this fast. And it is physically exhausting, I will tell you. It's either a young person's game or it's maybe an older person's game if you're in shape and... I don't think I'm either. (laughs) 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 So maybe I wouldn't be so exhausted, but it's not like what you see on HGTV with with Joanna Gaines, right? They just bring everything and she just points and goes, hang that here, do that here. I don't see
1: realistically
0: how stagers do that. I think a lot of us are very hands-on and that is physical.
1: So these are owner-occupied properties that you're staging?
0: Some of them. Yeah. Some of them. And if they're owner-occupied, a lot of times we might be trying to use a base of what's already there. And we might be rearranging things or taking some things out. And then I bring some things in. When it's owner-occupied, I try to use what the owner has as much as possible because the owner's comfortable with that, number one. Sure. You know, uh, number two, it's less expensive. If it's me staging for another realtor, it's less than my stuff I'm bringing in. And it just kind of works better for everybody. But A lot of times when it's owner-occupied, it's more about taking things out of the property and storing somewhere that don't work and bringing all new stuff in. That's more what it's about.
1: Yeah, right. I, I can only imagine how much work. Are you doing the whole house or just the main living areas?
0: I usually do the whole house, but I work with a lot of different people. And so for one realtor who I work with on a regular basis, she likes me to do the main level and then she likes to do the bedrooms and that's fine. But typically I'm doing the whole property.
1: Wow. That's amazing. And wow, I loved it. And I've really kind of diversed a lot of the questions about the staging, but we don't really have people talk about that a lot on the podcast. So it's very interesting to me. And I love that piece of it. I, I flip houses at times. And, when, you know, and that's one of the things that I've loved in the past as well. Do you have people want to buy your things? Because I know for me, I would, (laughs) you know, I would stage it and then they would say, okay, I want that. And so I'd be like, okay, great. That's fine. Cause I don't have that storage facility. Like you were talking about too. I'm hoping they want to buy it, but, but you know, I would just do kind of the main living areas and a few little touches in bathrooms and not usually bedrooms, but.
0: Well, to me, staging is a fantasy that you're creating for the buyer nobody's house, nobody's house looks like a staged property. Okay. That's just not reality. So to me, when you're staging, it's a fantasy. And if you don't stage every room, then you're breaking the fantasy. Mm,
1: That's That's, a very interesting point.
0: That's how I sort of feel about it. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't need the bedroom staged. I don't need the bathroom staged. I think really the one area you can really get away from staging for the most part, unless it's some area that really needs a lot of help, is the basement. Mm. You know, because a basement is an open space for people to consider doing a lot of different ways. And so basement, I say, is the one place you can get away from staging. But everywhere else, including bathrooms, I think bathrooms are undervalued that need to be staged a lot, especially small ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A bathroom creates such an environment in so many ways. But very interesting. How much of your time do you feel like it's uh, percentage wise do you feel like is to real estate and to the staging? (sighs)
0: Last year, staging really exploded a lot. I I did more staging last year than I think I've done before. So last year, I would say was an even split between buyers and staging. And it was sellers that I was light on last year. This year, staging is, is again, busy. And I'm busy again with buyers and the sellers I'm light on so far this year. But... I think I've got some coming down the pike, but just right at this very moment, it's staging and buying again that's busy for me to share.
1: Well, it seems like everyone I talk to is hurting to get listings. I mean, there just is not enough inventory to go to meet the demand. And so is there anything in particular you're doing to kind of help with that challenge or you just having to live with it the way it is?
0: It it doesn't bother me if I don't have listings, as long as I have buyers and staging, you know, for for me, I don't mind shifting and doing, okay, now I'm busy with listings. That's fine. Okay. Now I'm busy with buyers. That's fine. As long as I'm busy and productive, I don't really care who I'm working with. You know what I mean? It's, it doesn't bother me at all.
1: Yeah, that's good. So it's interesting though, to just know kind of the balance of, of where, you know, where you are, What do you feel like are the biggest challenges right now in the real estate world?
0: Right now, it seems like certain types of properties aren't moving as quickly as others. And I don't know if it's uh, COVID. Closed-in properties like, you know, condos at the moment that are like high-rises are tough. I don't know if it's the elevators, if it's the closed-in spaces. Those are the ones that we're seeing take longer to sell.
1: Interesting. Yeah, and and just uh, single family homes; those are moving really very
0: super quickly. fast, super fast. Still in townhomes too. And what's funny is, in our area, you know, closer into DC used to be it, right? That was it. Now, since COVID and so many people working from home, now mm. oddly enough, the further out you go, just single family homes crazy flying off the market like you would not believe like you would not believe multiple offers all of oh my god yeah and new home builds crazy crazy out there so in the past we're like ashburn in our area like like going out more that way and if, if you listen to this podcast and you know that area that area you know it was kind of it was it was okay but it wasn't like you know on fire that area crazy crazy on fire because people want the land people want the big houses And now it's like the bidding wars out there, which I I haven't seen it like this that I can ever remember in those areas. It's, It's absolutely crazy.
1: How do you deal with the bidding wars? I mean, are your buyers getting really frustrated?
0: Well, I'll tell you, I do have some clients right now under contract and it was a serious bidding war and it was a single family home. And what we did was we put in an escalation addendum, which is basically saying, hey, if I'm putting an offer for this amount... But if some other buyer comes in and puts in an offer for $1,000 more than mine, I'm willing to go up another 5000 over theirs up to this amount. Okay. So that's wow. escalation. Yeah. So that's one thing. That worked in our favor.
1: Do they have to prove that they have that other offer?
0: Yes. Yes, they do.
1: Yeah. Does it have to be a solid offer or just any offer?
0: Well, by solid, you mean the legitimate bar paperwork, Northern Virginia Association of Realtors paperwork. Is, is that what you mean by solid or?
1: Well, I just mean like, I just feel like you could write an, you know, get somebody to write an offer and it's for owner financing or it's, you know, just with some random clauses in it that doesn't make it a really competitive offer. So I just was curious yeah. what that's, I haven't been in that situation as an agent when I was actively selling, I did not live in a, world like we have in the markets now, you know, with the competitiveness of the bidding wars. But so I just, I haven't ever dealt with that. So it's kind of interesting to me. And I wonder, you know, how legitimate those offers really have to be.
0: Yeah. I'm suspicious by nature. So I know what you're saying. Could could the listing agent just say to his friend, hey, write me up an offer so I can get this escalation up, right? That's kind yeah. of what you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is when they submit the offer uh, or when they provide the other offer as proof, I look at the dates from dot loop or DocuSign or InstaNet to see when was this actually signed electronically? Because everybody does it electronically now. Right. And if I'm like, oh, that looks like 20 minutes before they got back to us versus, you know, a few days ago, or I just look at different things that are sort of quote unquote tells, if you will. Uh Yeah. You can tell. tell. I haven't run across it, but I have always been suspicious that that might happen one of these days.
1: That's interesting. So has that acceleration clause helped you to get some deals that you might would have missed out on in a bidding war?
0: Yes, but uh a Two years ago, I would have told you I didn't like escalation addendums because what was happening to me every time I tried them in the past was we'd put in an offer and then we put in an escalation addendum. So let's say we put in an offer for 500000 but we said we would go up to five twenty-five. Sure enough, every time, seller would come back and say, you know what, we don't even have any other offers that are going to escalate this up, but we want highest and best, so it's in your best interest to come back at 525. dollars Mm-hmm. And that's what would happen. So I didn't like escalation addendums. And, and then it never seemed to work out anyway. But I tell you, starting last year into this year, yeah, at least three I've won because of escalation addendums. And sometimes they weren't even triggered. They just were there. And we, we got it just on the initial offer. So I'm kind of having a change of heart on them.
1: Yeah. Well, the market is so hot, and I can see where it totally makes sense. And especially a frustrated buyer that is so serious about wanting a piece of property and they don't want to lose out. And so it's kind of highest and best without asking for highest and best. And yeah, I think it totally makes sense. And that's a, a great point for, you know, maybe some agents that haven't been using that. Addendum to consider in these bidding wars that they're just got buyers frustrated because they can't get anything worked out.
0: Um. Yeah, our market is always a competitive market in some capacity. Like this isn't all that unusual, and so for for us in this area, escalation addendums are not all that rare at all. Mm
1: very interesting. I hope I get some feedback from some agents that maybe haven't been, you know, that hasn't been the normal practice in an area because I honestly I haven't been hearing a lot about that. So maybe that's going to be a good tip for some people. So, what do you feel like the future looks like in the real estate world? I mean, we've always got highs and lows and peaks and valleys. What do you I mean, obviously we've been kind of on a real peak, but and how are you planning for you know whatever the future may hold.
0: well, I think as a realtor, it's either it's either a buyer's market or it's a seller's market, and as long as you work with both, you're as a realtor, you're always going to be okay. So these changes never really bother me because I, that's that's kind of why I thrive on it a little bit too. I like change. I like different scenarios and different things happening. I don't ever really try to plan for it because honestly, we could never have planned for covid and then what's happening with everybody now trying to move further out how could we have known i just kind of go with the flow and you know i i just i'm like it there's always a demand whether it's buying or selling there's just always a demand it's never just flat it's not usually ever just flat
1: right not here
0: right.
1: <laughs> yeah well and i'm sure that's true i'm sure there are uh, probably in in the area that you're in it probably is a little bit Different than probably in some parts of the world because there probably is always something going on there with some great demand in one way or another. So that's interesting. In working with a buyer and talking about like this market that we're in right now, what are you doing with I mean, are your how are you educating your buyers to understand the bidding wars and the high demand? not going to go in on a, with a low-ball offer? I mean, do you feel like... How are you dealing with that?
0: So the buyers are already... They already sort of know because they watch Redfin, they watch Zillow, they watch Realtor.com and they'll see a property come on market and then before they can even reach out to me, it's gone. So they already see it. So what happens is when we start talking, I go through with them, how can you strengthen your offer? One, of course, is escalation addendum, denim like we've already discussed. But in this area... It's important to have a very good lender with a good reputation. And we know of certain places (laughs) that loan people money, that is always a problem. We know that if you go with these guys, appraisal is going to be low. We know if you go with those guys, closing is going to be delayed if it happens at all. If we've been in this industry long enough, you know who the lenders are who are going to be difficult and problematic and unresponsive. But we also know who the good ones are. So I've been working with good lenders with good reputations for years. So I explained that, and, and by the way, that client that I just told you about were at the escalation addendum that we won. Right. So why else we won it? Because the listing agent knew my lender. They and knew knew. It was, they knew the lender. So I cannot emphasize enough how in this area, having a good lender and I won't mention the goods or the bads but I'm just right. saying having the good lender is critical really critical because your offer might be a better offer in terms of amount of money for the seller. But if the listing agent is aware and thinks that your lender appraisal is not going to happen good or whatever, they might guide their seller to go with a different offer for a lesser price because they have more confidence that's actually going to get to closing. Yeah. So you can't undervalue that. Um, Other contingencies... Home inspection around here, we can also do with option to void only, or you throw out the home inspection altogether and it's just it's just for informational purposes. Mm. Appraisal around here, there's lots of people waiving appraisals. I tend not to do that, uh, but I tend to say, we really think it's going to appraise at this amount, but we're actually offering you that amount, maybe $25,000 more and buyer is willing to come out of pocket $25,000 over appraisal price in the event that appraisal price comes in lower than sales price. That way, the seller is guaranteed sales price up to a certain amount if it comes in lower.
1: Okay. So that is such great information, Heidi. And I know... I just can't imagine, honestly, being a buyer and really having to have a needing a property to purchase in this kind of climate. But I know, have you had any situations where somebody's got to, they think they want to sell their house, but then, you know, so they list it, but then they can't find anything to buy? I'm hearing of situations like that a lot as
0: well. Well, it's funny. We just, I got a call from a client because their family saw a property that was going to be for sale on Nextdoor. And they had gotten in touch with the sellers and we thought everything was worked out and it wasn't even on market yet. And we put in our offer thinking it was good. And then their agent got in touch with us and it was like, you know what? They're not sure they're going to be able to find what they're looking for. They're uncomfortable with it. They talked to their lender. Turns out they can handle keeping this house until they buy a new one and buying the new one and then selling. So yes, uh, that just happened to me yesterday, actually, in the reverse, where it was my buyer and they got (laughs) told no (laughs) because the seller was afraid they couldn't find another property. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a real deal. I mean, everything snowballs. So it's kind of an interesting situation. Wow, what are your biggest challenges right now, you feel like?
0: I'd say it's with the buyers for the hut properties, the single families, and the townhomes, and getting our offers uh, accepted. I've I've been doing well so far this year, um, but it is a tough market. And luckily, I've been working with buyers that get it, and they really are putting foot putting forward their best foot forward. So, as long as you're working with people that understand the market and understand what needs to be done, it can be frustrating to lose out on those you know deals, but you know that they're going to be ready for the next one. And that's what we do. We just keep moving on. So I'd say it's just, again, the tight market, but that's really nothing new for around here.
1: Yeah. How do you balance, especially being a solo agent? I know you said you've got associates that you can rely on to give you help, but do you feel like you have a good balance in your life of, of work and personal life? Or do you feel like the business kind of takes over at times?
0: No, I feel like it's a good balance. It's kind of always been my life, whether it's this or when I ran my website development company. That things just seem to work out. So I, I don't push it, you know. And I feel like things happen at the right time for the right reason. And I'm usually, I'm usually okay. And if I need help, then I have people I can call on to help me and kind of help take the load off. But in general, things usually work out.
1: Yeah, it's great to hear you say that. And and it sounds to me like what I'm hearing you say is that you're really just very content. And you sound like you're a content person really regardless of, you know, the ebbs and the flow. And I think that's really commendable. The so many people that I talk to just feel like they've gotten into the business and now the business is controlling them and running their business. And so that really is commendable. Any just great advice that you'd want to share to to agents in the business, maybe new agents, people even seasoned, but just some things that you've learned yourself while you've been in?
0: I think if you're going to get into this business, like if you were going to get into any business, my recommendation is to do it on a part-time basis at first because the pressure that you will feel to get deals and to you won't be looking out for your client's best interest if it's all about the money. So if you have another form of income, then you can really focus in on your client's needs and make it about them. And that's what gives you longevity, I think, in this business. It's not making it about getting that deal closed. If it's really not supposed to close, maybe that's not the right house for your buyers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't push it. But I really think for any business that you're going to try to start, I would never go into something like full-time and not have something else as, a, as an income level as an income stream the pressure would absolutely i think break me i wouldn't do it
1: yeah yeah i i think that could be very good advice for someone especially if they don't have that you know that financial nest egg that they can you know count on for a good long while while they're building a business so good advice well anybody particular that's just been a real mentor to you in the business or do you just feel like you've kind of learned as you've gone along?
0: I feel like I've kind of learned as I've gone along. I mean, having said that, there's been people who have been in this business who they've just happened to give out a great bit of advice of tidbit here or a tidbit there and just kind of like you wouldn't know to think to do something like that and then they might mention it. So there's been different people who've been longtime realtors who have just kind of given advice here and there that I've learned from. But no, I wouldn't say there's been one mentor. No.
1: Yeah. You've shared some really great information today, and I'm very thankful. I mean, you sound like just a very solid, balanced... As I said before, content person. And, and you have just such a pleasant sounding voice, Heidi. I'm very jealous of your voice. But, That's um, so
0: funny because my daughter tells me my voice is not meant for radio. So, oh, I wouldn't believe that at all. Not at all. Well, you know, she's 16. So, you know.
1: Yes, exactly. Our biggest, uh, I have four daughters. And um, oh my yeah, I was God. Telling, telling my husband the other day, I Three of them are married, and um, they're from 23 to 31. But I told—I was just telling my husband—I said I think one of my daughters right now she just doesn't like me. You know, I, mean, I believe she loves me. I just don't think she likes me very much.
0: But. I was going to say, if you have four daughters, just know now your hair is wrong, your makeup's wrong, your clothes are wrong, your exactly. music's wrong.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: You know, mom, you're wearing that. <laughs> yeah. You don't know who this person is on YouTube. I'm like, I don't even watch YouTube. right, right. <laughs> And not yep.
1: keeping up with the Kardashians, but, right? Exactly. Right. Nothing against the Kardashians, but you know, just got a life to live. So exactly. <laughs> but I really do appreciate you giving your time today, Heidi. No, thank, thank you. So, thank so you so for having me. I appreciate and it very much. How will find you again?
0: So you can go to my website, heidi homescom or you can email me at. Call Heidi today at gmail.com. You can text me at 703-981-8277, or even the old-fashioned phone call works at the same number.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much, Heidi. Thank you. Well, I so appreciate the interview with Heidi and her being willing to give of her time. If you've got a referral going that direction, especially a military referral, keep Heidi in mind. Um, I know she would appreciate it. And I would love for her to find some benefit of her being willing to just give of her time and share her wisdom on the interview Let me ask you to do me a favor. Would you please subscribe to the podcast? I'd love to hear from you about what did you get from this interview that you're going to implement into your business. And I would just love to get some feedback from you. So feel free to reach out to me, Coach April Mack. You can go to my website, coachaprilmack.com and get my contact information there. My email address is aprilattheconexusgroup.com. So I look forward to hearing from some of you and we will have a new episode out for you in just a couple of weeks. I'll look forward to being with you then. Be blessed and we'll talk soon.